I am Planta on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Music on Maine, that popular series programmed by its artistic director David Pay, among others, will be uh, making its debut on the stage of the legendary Fox Cabaret Tuesday night, the 21st of March. The headliners are the Capilano String Quartet, and joining me now is one of its members, the cellist Jonathan Lowe. I'll ask Jonathan about spring and how it figures in the program they'll be playing. The music is for our time, not just uh, the time of year, but uh, this uh, time as we've uh, passed three years since the pandemic began. The pieces that the quartet will perform include uh, Yuri Sio's uh, Respiri, Raven Chacon's uh, The Journey of Horizontal People, and Griggs' uh, String Quartet Number 1, uh, Opus 27. And I'll ask Jonathan about the program and more. I'll ask him about his uh, fellow musicians, violinist Timothy Steves and J. Wan Bang, and uh, Marina Thibault on the viola. I'll uh, ask, too, about the cello. Jonathan Lowe has performed in venues such as Alice Tully Hall and the Museum of Modern Art in uh, New York City, among many other notable venues. He has appeared as a soloist with the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra, Philharmonia Northwest, and the Burnaby Symphony. He has given master classes at the University of Toronto, University of Calgary, uh, Mount Royal University, and Loyola Summerfest. He has degrees from the Eastman School of Music, the Juilliard School, and the Shepherd School of Music at Rice University. Visit musiconmain.ca for tickets and information. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Jonathan Lowe. Mr. Lowe, good morning. Good morning to you, too. Thanks for joining us. Um, you've played all sorts of uh, concert halls, Alice Tully Hall, the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Um, is this the first time that you've played the Fox Cabaret on Main Street? It will be, yes. Um, is it, this must be fun, in a way, to, to, to bring um, music on Main to um, this venue on Main Street that's not necessarily known for uh, well, it, it, over the last few years, it's, it's changed into sort of a nightclub, but um, n- not the kind of music that you play. Well, I think it, it speaks to the vision of Dave Pay and the series to uh, present art in non-traditional spaces. And uh, I have actually done performances in similar venues, uh-huh. so... Uh, it's not. I think it's becoming more and more commonplace gradually. Yeah, and we're seeing all sorts of things, comedy shows in all sorts of venues that we wouldn't think of, you know, other than, say, comedy clubs. Um, and, and I think it, it says a lot of, of things about Main Street itself, that, that um, you can go to Main Street and hear a string quartet, right? Yes. Yeah. Certainly. Um, the Capilano String Quartet, um, uh, there, there are four pieces. You play the cello. There's a viola, and then two people who play violins. Is that generally? Are those generally the pieces of a quartet? Uh, yes, traditionally it's always been two violins, a viola, and a cello. And generally speaking, uh, when you refer to a string quartet, that would be the traditional instrumentation. Yeah, and so the the, the four of you. Um, how did you all come together? Are, are you guys friends or, or, or uh, colleagues? Have you, you played together previously, say? Both. So I've played with uh, the violinists uh, together in the symphony and uh, also collaborated in several chair music projects in the past. And uh, actually with Jaywon and 
Marina, we've both uh, more or less grown up mm-hmm. <laughs> together uh, in a variety of different ways, uh, attending competitions, music festivals, and then uh, more recently in, in our professional lives, uh, collaborating again after a hiatus where we were both uh, in school, in different institutions for the most part, but then also overlapping a little bit here and there. So what's it like for the four of you? I mean, uh, uh, outside of performances, do, do, do you hang out? Um, I mean, I, I assume there's, there's a lot of uh, to get time together because you're rehearsing in the sword and planning out a program. Um, do, do people who uh, play strings, do, are, they, are they generally... Are they generally people that, that hang out with one another, say? <laughs> I mean, everyone's different. I, I think it's it's always nice to be playing with uh, friends, certainly beyond just a professional capacity. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, we certainly have spent time outside of the rehearsal space and time. Uh, I think all of us are varying degrees of, of uh, avid runners, and so we've we've had the, the pleasure and joy of going on runs together, and especially in this in this uh, little sunny break after a very long extended winter, it's nice to uh, be able to enjoy <laughs> the wonderful place that we live in as well. Yeah, yeah. So the, the pieces that you, that you all be you all will be paying, playing on uh, Tuesday, March twenty first. How did you come to choose those, and 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 what, what do you think they say about say not just this time of year, but but w- where all of us are in terms of say you know considering the last three years that we've all gone through. Well, I think first and foremost, choosing programming uh, for us is is a matter of finding music that really speaks to us as artists. Um, and and I feel like that the three pieces that we'll be presenting a few Tuesdays from now are are representative of that of our ethos and also as you mentioned the the times that we've been emerging from the Haydn uh, is is a very ebullient and and joyous work that really uh, reveals I think his humor which was one of his trademark qualities but also just the sheer skill. Uh, that he presents in his in his writing, and it's an interesting work because it is very firmly in the classical realm mm-hmm. in terms of compositionally when it was written, but it also has a lot of um, it, it owes a lot to the Baroque period as well, and to see how Haydn reimagined uh, all these Baroque ideas and tropes uh, into his own masterful and unique uh, voice is always just such a treat as as uh, musicians and bouncing up the program with uh, a quartet by Hindemith which is someone who is very very different but also uh, also someone who likes looking back at tradition in this case uh, the classical music genre and reimagining uh, that music in his own lens and voice, uh, of course, using 20th century techniques. And finally, the work by uh, Jerry Sa, which is uh, very, very special work, uh, written homage to uh, another composer and mentor of hers, uh, but with a very introspective outlook uh, on life itself, really, because... She was in, she was communicating with this other composer, Jonathan Harvey, 
and finding out that he uh, was succumbing to motor neuron disease. Mm-hmm. And so finding, of course, the, the, the age-old question of what is life, what is death. And, and uh, I believe that he was a devout Buddhist, mm-hmm. and he incorporated a lot of aspects of Buddhism into his music. And so she's also reimagining uh, his own music and his own uh, viewpoints on life death buddhism uh within her own her own uh voice and and of course a piece that pays homage to him so it's it's very much i think it, it's a program that we feel like is is representative of, of certainly the times that we live in yeah and and, and so um you know these are pieces that are obviously that, that at one point you have when you first heard them probably you thought they were they were interesting to play or, or nice to hear um when, when you get the backstory say of, of how a piece came about, or what the piece is about, uh, or what it meant to whoever composed it. Um, are these things that you're thinking about as you're playing as well? Certainly, and it's finding a balance individually and also as a quartet as to what the context of all of these pieces and the times that the works are written in, and and finding our own interpretations of what they mean to us. And even, I think, the joy of working within a quartet is that even though the overarching emotions and themes are very much shared human experiences that we can all relate to, because we all come from different backgrounds and different life experiences, we will find subtle but also very different ways of approaching as to how we'll bring this forth musically, technically, what these specific motives and emotions mean to us and how we may differ and discuss as to how to come eventually to one unified uh, set of solutions, so to speak. So I, I looked you up on um, uh, YouTube, and th- there are two pieces there that, that uh, you recorded for Music on Main. Um, there, there's one there that, that's uh, about 20 minutes, um, and, and um, there, there's another one where um, earlier in your career where you were accompanied with a pianist. And um, I noticed you didn't have music in front of you. So I'm curious to know, um, the, the, um, is it something that you do regularly, that you don't have charts in front of you, say? Yes. Uh, when playing in a solo capacity, and sometimes uh, with a pianist, uh-huh. uh, we're expected to memorize the music it's a little bit different in chamber music so uh, technically speaking playing with a pianist uh, is also considered chamber music because it's it's music written for two or more people but especially within a string quartet we will not be <laughs> memorizing our music and part of it is just for practical purposes because the music uh, the way that it's written and the voices and roles that we have within a string quartet, they're uh, not as, let's say, intuitive to memorize, but it's also a matter of just uh, being aware of the other parts, what your, uh, what the other instruments and uh, what your colleagues have as well. It's helpful to have the music, uh, but, uh, yeah, you, more often you'll see people not memorizing their music for solo uh, performances. 
you'll forgive me for asking some of these questions because I'm, I'm no, no, I'm, not at all. I'm not musical at all, and and I, I find this fascinating. Um, the uh, um, that twenty minute piece, which I, I forgot to write down what it was, um, and and you didn't have music in front of you. Um, what goes through your mind, Jonathan? I'm uh, I'm assuming you can't let your mind wander and think about say what you're going to do after a performance or, <laughs> or your grocery store list or something like that, can you? No, and and that's always a fine balance to find in performance and one that you're constantly revising and honing. Uh, for me, it's it's striking. It's it's being in the moment to create and to live the emotions and bring forth the emotions of what the composer's intentions were. And for me, generally, that means that I'm mostly focusing on on phrasing or the line of how I want to sing or shape phrases within the music. Mm. And occasionally I will, if there is something technically or mechanically challenging, I'll focus in on usually between one to three things that I will be really locked in in the moment, but otherwise it's it's much more, I would say, of a uh, almost a vocal interpretation of, of the things that I want to uh, be bringing forth into music. Yeah, see, I've got notes in front of me as I'm talking to you, things that I want to ask you. Um, I may be reading them as, I, as I'm listening to you or as I'm um, even speaking to you, um, when you have um, charts in front of you and you're playing in a quartet, for example, um, listening to the other people, the other pieces, I mean, uh, um, <laughs> I, I guess I'm, I'm someone who, who, who can't multitask, but you're doing all those things at the same time, aren't you? Yes, and it's it's also that's, that's practicing and, and mm. being able to adjust in a sense, the balance of how much you focus on any one aspect. And this is something that we find very helpful in the rehearsal process because you're exactly right. If you focus too much or all on one thing, you close off your awareness, your ability to listen, to react, ultimately to be spontaneous in the moment to what is essentially musical dialogue between you and three other people. And so it is very important to always balance out however many things you're trying to juggle, let's say, in the moment. So whether or not that means, let's say, for example, here I'm going to listen to Marina, the violist, because we have a duet together, but I need to be aware of something else that's happening in the violins. And so people go about this differently and some people like talking about how they'll split their brains into different mm-hmm. different uh, different varying amounts or whether you know, listening wise that's that ends up becoming like a 60 to 30 to 10 percent and of course ultimately to being aware of what you're producing individually too is is it's it's a very it's a very interesting uh, game to play I would say yeah, and it's given me something to think about in terms of, of, of when I watch performers now. I'm not just listening, say, to a piece of music that I might like or I don't know, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm watching uh, how the musicians themselves comport themselves and, and, and how they produce what I'm listening to. 
Um, Jonathan, was, was the cello something that you played early on? It was. I started when I was around four. <laughs> and, and was it something that you wanted to do, or was it something your parents, uh, say, encouraged? I think at that age it's a little hard to say that it is something I wanted to do. That realization uh-huh. came a little bit later in life. But but in my in my circumstance, it, it, uh, playing an instrument was something that they wanted me to be exposed to, and it was uh, something that, even though I may not have enjoyed everything, sure. Uh, all of the nitty gritty growing up. Eventually, I I did I did realize that it was something I wanted to do. And not ju- not just about you, Jonathan, but at four years old, can, can a an adult say see some sort of aptitude in in the child that that this is something that they could do and do well? Say, I think so. And the hardest part, I think, after making let's say that type of judgment is nurturing it in the right way and uh-huh. and of course every child and every teacher is different and uh so that's that's a very it's a it's a very i think challenging and potentially difficult thing to to do well and everyone comes to different realizations i think throughout their lives some people pursue it very heavily and then they need to take a break or some people are a little bit more steady or some people actually end up putting it away for a little bit and they realize that no this is something that I want to do and I think ultimately if it enriches one's life I think that's the most important thing because like everything that starts from a place of enjoyment or a place of joy uh-huh. it's you have to be very careful to to let it grow However, it will end up doing so in a way that will be ultimately fruitful for one's well-being in life. What does it sound like to you when you when, the cello, especially when you play it? Um, I, I was thinking about it the other day. Um, I was interviewing a violinist, and, and that has a distinct sound. It's a, a much, I would say, higher sound than, than say, a cello. I, I enjoy the cello because it, it has such a rich, almost deep sound to it. Is that what it sounds like to you as, as someone who plays it? I think certainly there are sonorities and timbres that that make it, for me personally, very satisfying. I, I really enjoy the expressive possibilities and range of the instrument, just being able to... It's frequently said that the cello encompasses the more or less the whole range of the human voice. Mm. So our ability to play... I think those tones and sonorities that you pointed out that are that are more satisfying because we feel them, uh, we feel a certain depth within them, but also to at the higher the higher ranges of the voice as well. Once that you're more so commonly associated with female singers, uh, the falsetto, the sessitura, the uh, you know things that often evoke, let's say, more otherworldly uh, emotions. Uh, and, and the cello being able to encompass all of these, uh, of course, depending on the skill of the player, but, yeah, yeah. but the, just the possibility of being able to to uh, play those uh, sounds uh, is is definitely something that that I think even when I wasn't aware drew me towards the instrument and kept me kept me uh, interested in it in, in the early going. Is it a heavy instrument? Uh, it's 
not particularly light, uh, I would say, but it's it's also not as burdensome as, let's say, uh, at least to carry around yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, a double bass or a harp. Certainly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and in terms of traveling with it, um, uh, I, I assume that you're playing the same cello. Um, and you have for a number of years now, or do you have a couple, say, or how does that uh, work? I just have one primary instrument that I've been playing on for the past 10 to 15 years, and uh, I, I have been <laughs> well-versed in, in traveling with it in a variety of situations, from cars to planes and everything uh, in between. <laughs> yeah. and, and so um, on a plane, for example, is it sitting next to you, or, or is it packed away? Uh, no, it's, it's always sitting next to me. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose children or, or young people ask you about the cello and ask whether um, you think they should take it up. What do you tell them? I think that if there's an interest to the way that it works or that it sounds, it's certainly one wor- worth exploring. Just keeping in mind that even though it's not, I would say, the most it's not the most unintuitive instrument to play. Uh-huh. I can think of others that are that are even more challenging to get a, a hold of the basics. It's still one where you want to find the best instruction possible, and of course that's going to be different for every person. But yeah. just to be patient with the early going, because learning how to balance and hold the instrument uh, while you're seated, and and then getting the hands and arms kind of set up in a way where it doesn't feel uh, awkward or tense. It, it, is, it is something where you really want to take time with the fundamentals before really jumping or trying to jump into repertoire that may have drawn your interest or your, your ear in the first place. Um, I would assume that now being an adult as opposed to when you were four, um, the the instrument itself is easier to manage, I guess, um, when you're yes. playing it. Um, but by the way, that thing at the bottom, that um, yes. is that adjustable in, in terms of height? So that's called the end pin, uh-huh. and yes, it is. It is uh, totally adjustable from very short, uh, stubby heights to uh, ones that would look, look more like a javelin or a harpoon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Huh. Um, what was your pandemic like the last three years? I mean, um, performing in public was probably not um, something you could do a lot of. Um, uh, did you do a lot of, say, say, teaching or performing online? Uh, certainly in the early going, it was, I would say, a lot more teaching than performing. Uh-huh. And whatever performances did happen in the early going were <laughs> very much in front of at most, uh, a small camera crew, yeah. and it, w- it certainly was a surreal time. I mean, it's it's kind of the vacation that none of us were expecting, but <laughs> gone. Yeah. And I mean, everyone's different. I I mean, I I for me personally, I I've been running on and off for the past decade, and then when we had this big full stop. I was able to, and it also just for my own health, uh, get a l- much more into it. And it's something that I've I've kept up since then. So just being able now to reorganize uh, 
some life priorities, so to speak, but also just make sure that in terms of fitness and exercise that I'm making that a, a now very, very regular part of my own life. Uh, so being able, in a sense, to enjoy the place that we live in a lot more. Um, and then, you know, we, we all have hobbies that we also get into. So for me, that was more reading, but mm. also uh, more time just catching up on sports, which is something I've also always been interested in. <laughs> yeah. What um, When you're out running, um, everybody has these things in their ears now when they're not when, not even when they're running um <laughs> uh, when you're running do you have music with you or uh so this is going to be pretty uh nerdy but running enthusiasts will probably understand this i i used to always listen to music when i was running uh-huh. and then it got to a point where especially even though i've do, been doing it for a long time i wasn't i wouldn't say technically i had i was missing a lot of fundamentals and basics and so when I was talking to my running coach, she was saying, well, you know, maybe you should try running without any music so you can really focus on your form and your running technique and all of these things, which is which is an interesting, uh, it's an interesting thing to consider because, of course, as you said, a lot of people run with music either yeah. to make it more enjoyable or to break the monotony of having to run because it's not something that they <laughs> voluntarily yeah. want to yeah. do. But uh, I think now that I feel, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm a great or even a very good runner, but now that I uh, have, let's say, a little bit more experience, uh, certainly for easier efforts, um, and we were talking about this the other day, um, just the effect of music being able to positively influence one's running mm. um, technique, which is kind of, it comes full circle eventually. Yeah. Um, do you listen to a wide variety of music? I would say so, yes. Yeah. Uh, quite a bit of jazz, um, classic rock, uh, even actually more than a little bit of electronic music. So it, it kind of runs the gamut. Uh, I think ultimately what I've come to realize is that artistry uh, in whatever genre of music is something that's almost like an archetype, like once mm. you learn how to listen for certain things, you can recognize, I mean, it sounds cliche, but you can recognize greatness wherever it is. So even listening to hip-hop or rap, you know, you're, you're much, I feel like I'm much more aware of how rhythm and flow is used in a way, and whether or not you enjoy it or you agree with everything with it, mm. that's ultimately somewhat irrelevant because you can tell when people are talented or gifted in ways that are not as common, let's say. They have more mastery uh, than, than the average uh, artist performer, so to speak. Yeah, I, 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 there, there are certain music that I like. I like jazz and I like you know Sinatra and, the, and that sort of genre. Mm-hmm. And I find that the, the older I get, um, I, I find I need to challenge myself and listen to different things. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, you can find um, what you think is great in a certain singer yeah. in someone who does country or, or rock, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and that makes listening to music all the more enjoyable, I think. And especially I go back to the music that I've always liked, and I find mm-hmm. that that's enjoyable. I've, I've uh, really enjoyed speaking with you today, Jonathan. Um, I, I guess I can, I can say break a leg on Tuesday the 21st with Chalice Tonight. <laughs> That's that's totally okay, yes. <laughs> Thanks for this.
Thank you very much. The uh, Capilano String Quartet will be at uh, the Fox Cabaret Tuesday night, the uh, 21st of March, as part of Music on Main. Visit musiconmain.ca for tickets and information. The cellist, uh, Jonathan Lowe, joined me on the line from here in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.